Nyala Karich, Wajuk Nyunga Mord, Kayan Karak, Nija Wajuk Nyunga Boja. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast has been recorded on the Wajuk Nyunga lands of Burlu, otherwise known as Perth. Well-being as we know it now has been constructed from a Western perspective. But what happens when we go back to the methods of well-being from the oldest continuing culture in the world? Welcome to Nyunga Wellbeing. I'm your host, Brooke Collard. I'm a Baladong Wajuk Nyunga woman with personal family ties to a lot of our interviewees. In Nyunga Wellbeing, I will be speaking to elders in the Nyunga community about a First Nations perspective on self and community care. One way of healing doesn't work for everyone, so that's why we are going to explore six ways from the lens of Nyunga elders. They will guide you on creating the tools for yourself and others on the path to self and community care. So make a cup of tea and listen to these Nens and Pops yarn about Nyunga well-being. Welcome to episode five of Nyunga Wellbeing. I'm your host, Brooke Collard. Our guest today is Vivian Hansen. She has written two books, both titled Nyunga Bush Medicine and Nyunga Bush Taka. Today, we'll be yarning on the importance of medicine and food in well-being. Thank you so much for making the time to um, speak with me today, Nen Viv, because you know, yesterday was sorry day and yes, this week yeah. has been reconciliation week. So the fact that I've managed to get a bit of your time <laughs> is really amazing. Yeah, no, that's good. I'd like to start with what we're doing with this podcast series is we're talking about well-being, but from the perspective of Nyungas, because it's different to what we've learned in Western institutions of self-care and things like that as well. <laughs> I might give him his dummy just to be safe. Yeah. You want to join in as well? Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed Uncle Len Collard yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah, and each person is speaking about a different lens to view well-being from because it's not one brushstroke fixes everyone. Everyone has different things that makes them feel yeah. good. Yesterday, because this was new to me for my um, understanding, is from the Western perspective, they say follow your heart, listen to your heart, and... Nyungas are more listen to your corbel, like your stomach, because that's the center of emotion and we're in in your spirit. And, um, you know, that links back to everything. Like there's research coming out about how much your gut health impacts your mental health and linking that back to Nyungas saying that for a long time. It's like you should have yeah. been listening to us because we know what we're talking about. And, yeah, speaking to you as well, because you've done so much research on bush medicine and bush food. How would you say, going back to, I guess, ingesting bush medicine, bush food helps with well-being? When I think back to when I was young, growing up with my grandparents, we had a little bit of bush around, but it was always so calming when we went for a walk, especially looking for berries and bush tucker, the certain seasons when certain plants are around. You just get that calmness and that nurturing that you get with family and it sort of paves the way for you to care for yourself as you grow up. 
because when you're safe and cared for, your body reacts to that. And, you know, they always say, follow that gut feeling, follow your coral, how that makes you feel, and that helps a lot. Yeah, and we were talking before about the magical bush balm that you make for the West Coast Eagles. I won't ask for your secret recipe. But yeah, I guess thinking about, you know, that connection to going back out onto country and getting medicine that's not necessarily on the shelves because, you know, the bush is our supermarket and you're going out there and going to your supermarket every day that you don't have to spend money at. You just have to have that knowledge and caring for what's around you. What are some medicines that you prefer to collect from Outbush to help you in just your general everyday life? I think just going out bush is good medicine because you're out amongst nature and, I mean, it's very hard to get to the real bush. Though living here in Kelmscott, it's pretty good because the bush is just like ten-minute drive. Once you get out of the suburbs, we've got the forest close and a lot of that, of course, is disappearing. But just being out there, just in the calmness of it, and you hear the birds and smell Mother Nature. You can smell the plants. One of the main plants that we use is the gum tree or eucalyptus tree because there's so many uses in that. You've got the beautiful aroma of the leaves. When you pick a leaf and crush it, you know, you get that real uplifting eucalyptus smell. It's nothing like it. And that helps with respiratory problems. You know, that helps clear your sinuses. But it also just lifts you mentally when you smell that. I think it's a really uplifting thing with the eucalyptus. And then, of course, you can make a cup of tea with the eucalyptus, that nice refreshing cup of tea, that's good for you. Of course, if you've got kidney problems, you you don't you wouldn't want to drink too much of the eucalyptus tea because all the tannins in the eucalyptus is not really good for your kidneys. And then you can gather enough eucalyptus leaves and you can boil them up and put them in your bath. And if you've got sore aching muscles, well, you can't beat anything better than that. The gum on some of the eucalyptus trees is really good as well especially the old Mary tree which is the Noongar name for that tree as well that is really pretty powerful disinfectant it helps if you've got toothache or your gums are a little bit infected or sore throat like I always say this is helpful but you still do need to see your doctor but it can help you. I mean, we know before the arrival of European settlement, our mob had their own doctors. They had their own way of looking after you. They knew what plants to look for and what it was used for and how much you needed because there were no scales and, you know, chemists back in the day, but they just had that honed over thousands of years how much you needed to take, you know, and whether you needed to take it internally or smell it or rub it on your skin because 
when you know you're crushing the the leaves of the plants the heat that's generated you know the friction creates a little bit of heat and the heat releases the oils in the leaves and so you get the beautiful oils coming out and then rubbing it on your skin your pores take that in and it does its work that it needs to do yeah the gum of the maori is really good you can make a mouthwash out of it tastes bitter as hell mind you (laughs) (laughs) but leaves your mouth feeling pretty numb for a while till you can you know get to the dentist and get your teeth removed i know sometimes we wouldn't tell someone if we had a toothache because some of them would take you out, well, like we had an old, old uncle who'd take us out to the car and give us like a little um, electric jab. Oh no. <laughs> the shock would, like you'd forget about your tooth. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, we talked to a lot of old Nungas and they'll tell you, yeah, that was one trick they used to use <laughs> if they couldn't get any um, gum. But yeah, it's really good. And also, like if you've got a wound, you know, you burn yourself or whatever, you can use that as a skin wash and that helps clear that up, which is um, really good, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty amazing realising things can go through your pores and that's a good way for medicine to go through because I feel like we forget a lot that your skin is the biggest organ. So especially for, you know, putting medicine into your body, putting it on as like lotions and creams is a really amazing way that, you know, we would do that. You know, even things like smoking, how sometimes you chuck in particular leaves, like that's all through the air onto your skin Mm. as well. And that's medicine and healing. That's true. Uh, What they used to do in the old days, and they still do in some areas, they would get the oil from the emu because most, not most, but Australian animals, a majority of them are plant eaters. So they're actually eating the plants that contain the medicine. And so that's why the oil of the emu is highly prized amongst our people. And the goanna or the carter, everyone loves eating the fat on that, so very healthy. What the oldies used to do is sometimes soak the plant in a little bit of emu oil and they'd make an ointment with that to rub on your skin or they'd just rub the emu oil directly on their bodies to help them. Grandfather used to tell us that when someone was really frail, they would try and catch a bobtail and Mm. then they'd cook the bobtail on the coals, but they'd cook it on its back and so that all the juice would be maintained and they'd get the person who was sick to drink the juice because Bobbies, they plant eaters too, so they're eating all the plants that contain the medicine and so they would use that to help people get their strength back when they were really ill. And they would eat the kidneys and the liver as well of the bobby, bobtail. Good tucker too, as well. Yeah, I've heard that from a few people. I've heard more Kalgoorlie way that mobs still love the tails because that's a really like fatty bit. Yeah. So lovely to eat. Yeah, we went um, out bush a couple of weeks back, a special trip out there just to cook a bangara, which our granddaughter's partner brought back when they went up Mekathara. So we went out bush and made a fire and dug a hole and cooked it traditional way. And um, oh, we had a wicked feed of that. And the fat in that was, oh, <laughs> was just, yes, it was really, really delicious. And yeah, had a feed of the tail and that. So it was, it was good tucker, good tucker. Not only good tucker, but good medicine.
Yeah, making my mouth water, yeah. thinking about it. And then sitting around a fire, the warmth of the fire helps you relax and you can meditate. That's when all the yarning takes place and it's a happy time. And even if, you know, you're feeling a bit sad, you can start talking about what's making you feel sad. And it just gives you an overall well-being feeling. Like I lost a sister last year and um, just sitting around the fire watching the flames, like I can remember a lot of fun things that we did together, so that made me feel happy. I thought about a few times when she came out bush with us, cuddling the kids up and, you know, we was going walking, looking for certain flowers, hoping we could find a certain flower at a certain time of the year. So, yeah, it's the whole, like, the bush, it's just medicine on its own. It's good for our mental health, our social, emotional well-being. And you create great memories showing the kids. When we went out and I took the kids for a walk, there was on one of the eucalyptus leaves, there was the sugar, mm. you know, the little white bits that like crystal on the leaves. And of course, of that is just unreal. There's nothing like it. You can buy in the shops when you buy lollies. It doesn't have that beautiful taste to it. So I was showing them and peeling it off for them to have a taste. So they're learning at the same time so that they'll know what to look for if they're out the bush. And then there was something else that I showed them. I dug up what we call a, um, a burn. It's a little, oh, what can I say? Oh gosh. It has a little bulb on the bottom of it, but it's quite spicy. So they knew that that was there. And we also told them, you know, if they're stuck out in the bush and they've got no water, you just put a leaf and um, chew on it or just put it under your tongue and that helps bring saliva to your mouth. So it helps quench the thirst. Little things like that. There was heaps of balga bushes out there, the grass trees. And so I showed them how you can pick the long fronds, but you have to go right down to get the white tips of it. And you can chew on that and it's nice and um, crunchy like coconut. So, you know, showed them that was good tucker. And also sometimes you find in the trunk of the grass tree, you see the little holes in there, there's bardies in there, that's edible. You can eat them raw or put them on the coals and cook them and eat them that way. And then right at the base of the valga is the hard resin or the gum. You can just get a little bit of that and crush it up. If you've got diarrhoea, that helps with that. But also they use that to attach their stones to their wooden handles of their axes because when you melt it, it becomes a glue and then you you know stick it to whatever it hardens and it becomes a really solid adhesive it doesn't fall away or break and then they'd use the kangaroo sinews to help attach it so I showed that to the kids and then of course if you get it and you crush it up and then you just get a handful and throw it on the fire it's sort oh, of like so magic beautiful. for the kids mm. <laughs> they love doing that so it's just magical going out bush with them and learning them yeah, sitting around having a good time and of course if it happens to rain then you just get all the smells of the bush. It's just magical. Yeah, so magical. Because as you started talking about the bowgrass through the grass tree, it reminded me as well of when I'd go camping with my nan. Yeah, I wanted to try and retain that knowledge for my family. 
and my community and so I thought that I might like to see if I could you know put it all down and get it published and with the help of a friend of mine we managed to get UWA to publish our Noongar Bush Medicine and then Noongar Bush Tucker. So yeah it's been a long journey but I must admit growing up in Brookton around my old people it was just magical because for the first eight years of my life I lived with my grandmother and grandfather and I was fortunate in that they still had their siblings some of them living in Brookton like my grandmother she had um, one, two, three brothers that still lived in Brookton so I was lucky to know them and one of the brothers was married to my grandmother's sister so that was really great that was Granny Harold and Gran Ivy and then there was Pop Fred Collard and his wife Nana Jane and then there was Pop Charlie and Nana Daisy so I was really lucky I knew them as a young girl and then they both had a brother and sister married to each other, lived in Pingley, and that yeah, was uh, Granny yeah. Mabel and Granny Jim. And when they did get together, they'd start out talking like we're talking, and then they'd all um, start talking Noongar. And it was like, I'm thinking, what are these oldies saying here? So, but I managed to pick up the language from that when we used to say sometimes we'd go to a movie like watch a western and then we'd say well what we are you know because we did indians being apaches and cherokees and all this and our grandfather just say we bibblemen yeah (laughs) it's just a blessing when you get to know your grandparents and their families their old brothers and sisters it's a privilege because not many people have that opportunity and I know that's probably a real missing feature of, you know, the stolen generation. Though, mind you, grandfather's old mum, like before my time, Granny Candy, she used to go up and down between Brookton and Pingley, and the welfare used to complain about her going to Pingley because they'd say, you know, oh, Mr Collard has a large family, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't understand that it was... You know, the mother always would go to the daughter. So what happened, she got ill and she was in the hospital in Pingley and the welfare came and took her and placed her down at Carolup Mission and that's where she passed away. Going back through the old native welfare files of my grandfather and Granny Candy, she died and they buried her the same day because back then at the mission there was nowhere to store the bodies yeah and so the family wouldn't have had time to grieve for her or prepare for her funeral and there's a lot of things like that where there was no closure for the families it's really hard but yeah my mother used to tell stories about the old girls you've written two books now which is Noongar Bush Medicine first and then Noongar Bush Tucker I was almost going to bring my copies from Broome and get oh, you to you, sign oh, them oh we'll sign them for you <laughs> next time <laughs> next time but I've heard at the moment you're actually writing a third publication I'm trying to do a third one yeah mm. yeah I just recently finished a document for the Southwest Catchment Council and there was some information in there I thought I think I might have enough material for a third book so mm, we'll see how we go. 
Yeah, because I think it was that same, like the Southwest Catchment Council. I had a quick read of the article I think you shared. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're, I guess, creating a publication in collaboration with farmers to help them understand, yeah, the relationships between, you know, native plants and pollinators and, you know, yeah, helping support that equilibrium that's already there in yes, nature. Yes, yeah, it's really important and I really enjoyed doing that and, and it will be good to see the results of what they do because, as I said earlier, Mort and I, we go out with the group called Activate the Wheat Belt for the past, I think, nearly 12 years. When we go back out this year, we'll probably go and have a look at some of the trees that were planted about five, six years ago just to see all those trees growing it's amazing and then they start to self-seed as well yeah and um it just brings the birds and the animals back you know so they've got shelter and they've got food and just how everything interacts and how they all need each other to thrive and survive unfortunately so much of our bush has been destroyed but it's good to see that you know a lot of the farmers want to try and rehabilitate their land which is a good thing it um immediately makes me think of native bees how they i think the right word would be like vibrate at a different frequency than you know the introduced european bees so people who try to recreate that same thing to pollinate certain native plants that can only be pollinated by them they have to get like an electric toothbrush and just buzz that at the flowers (laughs) and hope for the best Mm. our native bees are smaller and they don't have the sting in them. But also pollination in our bush area is not all about the birds and bees because we've got, as I was saying, you know, a lot of our little creatures, they're all plant eaters, so they help with the pollination process as well. You've got the emus who love anything bright. They eat the nuts off the zamia palm. They go on their walks and then they do their droppings and of course the seed comes out and you've got a new zamia plant growing there and they do that with the quandongs because they love the brightness so they'll eat the fruit whole and you've got the little bobtails you know they're eating the berry bushes and it's quite complex really when you think about it yeah you've got those little possums that live up in the trees and yes you've got the cockatoos with the gum trees especially the nuts and that you know they always trying to get into the nuts to get the seeds out and they waste a lot on the ground Mm. so you know that helps and of course some of the plants that need the heat they need a little fire but they just need a nice cool little burn they don't need the shambles that's happening today I don't want to get too much into that because I'm quite passionate about anti-prescribed burning yeah, no, absolutely, because we wouldn't have the devastating bushfires we have now if we continued the cool burning That's right. that we had. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess with writing your first two books, I know you release new editions, you know, when you're constantly updating, when you find out what the Nyungar word was for a plant that you didn't previously know, and you did work with a lot of elders in collecting that information. So I guess what was that journey like for you I guess when you were first writing those books and having to go out to the communities like that and ask them for information yeah well as I said at first it was just to try and leave something for my family and my community and also pay tribute to my elders that I grew up with and we're always told that Noongars don't have culture don't have a lot of medicines things like that 
Like, I did notice that a lot of the material that was published about bush medicine mainly focused outside Noongar area and they were all written by non-Aboriginal authors and, Mm. like, I don't have a problem with that either. I thought I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, if I could get enough together to do a book. And I was fortunate in that my mum was still alive. I said, oh, mum, I'm thinking about writing a book on bush medicine, Noongar medicine. What do you think? And she said, oh, you better go to it, little girly. (laughs) That was her favourite saying, little Mm. girly. And so I'd run a lot of things by my mum. I had a couple of older cousins that encouraged me. And, of course, Mort and my husband's always been supportive, even though we might have our differences and, you know, have a blow-up argument kind of thing. He's still there supporting me and encouraged me quite a lot. My children and most of my older grandkids, they were saying, oh, that's good, Nan, because, you know, we'll be able to learn as well. So I started from what I could remember and it was amazing how other memories started popping up about this plant, that plant. So that was really good. And then someone would say to me, oh, Viv, have you got this plant there? You know, this is bush medicine. So that was really great. After starting off with sort of like about 20 or 30, I think our first book was over 100 plants in there. And we were going to put the bush tucker ones in, but we thought, okay, we might get another book if we separated the two. Yeah, definitely (laughs) did. (laughs) That was John's thinking. I didn't realise how much information we would get for the bush tucker. It was more plants Mm. than bush medicine, though, mind you, some of them, you know, are used for both. Some plants are bush medicine and bush tucker. So, yeah, it was really an amazing journey and I'm grateful that John came along because I probably would have been still working on it because I was sort of like every now and again I'd I'd get and do some work and Mm. (laughs) John sort of cracked the whip, which was good, (laughs) to make sure we finally um, got it to the publishers and UWA, that was really great that they took it on board. As far as I know from my last chat to someone there, they were saying that Uh, The Bush Medicine book is still outselling some of their new releases. So, Like, I I had no idea that it would take off like it did. It was just not thinking about sales or all of that, just wanting to get it published. Mm. And, yeah, so that it would be there for people to learn about our Noongar Bush foods and Bush Tucker and just leave that legacy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Noongar Wellbeing with me, Brooke Collard, and my guest, Vivian Hansen. You can find more episodes at sbs.com.au slash Wellbeing or follow the series in podcast apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the SBS radio app. You can find Vivian Hansen on her Instagram page, Binyan Bush Medicine.